Genesis chapter 30, verses 25 through 43. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I might go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, you know yourself how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flocks and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep, every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not spotted and speckled among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good. Let it be as you have said. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and the female goats that were speckled and spotted and every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. And he set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped, and all of the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock was breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger would be Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, male servants, and camels and donkeys. Can, you can have a seat. Let us pray as we look into God's Word. Lord, pray that you'd give us wisdom this morning as we consider your Word. Give us discernment. May your Spirit lead us into truth. Lord, may your, may your spirit guide my words, help me to say only what you would have me to say and not what you would not. Help us to hear, allow your word to do work in our heart. Pray all this in your name. Amen. Well, we come off of a story where we find that Jacob last week uh, had a few kids. In fact, he has, if I remember, if I counted correctly, he has at that time 10 sons and one daughter at least. That's a lot of kids, okay? 
And as I think about uh, that, um, what comes to my mind is I wonder what mealtime was like, right? Because, you know, now, I don't know what they're eating. As we see in this passage, Jacob, um, you know, he hasn't been necessarily allowed to have, uh, to increase his own wealth. He's still kind of living off the room and board of his uncle as he, his uncle gets more and more wealthy from his labor for his uncle. And yet, I wonder what mealtime was like. I don't know if mealtime, what mealtime is like for you in your house, for those of you who have kids, but, but it's difficult, it has been difficult for us over the years to find a particular food in which everyone is actually happy around the dinner table, right? Like everyone is excited for, like tacos, we eat every week because it's like one of the few things that, pizza, we eat every week. Mac and cheese, we eat every week. Because these are the things that actually everyone agrees on, and everything else is going to be a dispute. Someone is going to love it, and someone is going to hate it, and then the kid who loves it is going to mock the other kid who hates it, like, oh, this is so good, isn't it? And then, and then it's a fight, you know, and it's a whole deal. Anyway, sometimes, sometimes we introduce a new food, Okay. And it, and, and it seems like, even though I feel like I provide a balanced diet for my children, one in which they can grow healthy and strong, every time we introduce a new food, someone is skeptical, right? Someone looks at it and goes, nah. even a dessert, there'll be a kid like, nah. and Silas is the funniest because he, you, you know, if he's like, you, he's our best eater. He'll eat the most of different things. But every once in a while, I'll be like, he'll kind of like scoot it out a little ways away from him. Like, you know. And we had to borderline forcefully get him to take the first bite, right? And a lot of times what happens is he takes that first bite, and then he looks up, and he goes. And then he just starts eating, you know? He just goes, goes to town. Um, but, they're, but they're so skeptical. I know, isn't that funny? He knows. That's, that's what he does. They're so skeptical at first, and, and the point, you're like, what's the point of this? Um, and God has blessed Amanda and I to be able to provide three meals a day and a dinner for our kids, and we seek to bless our kids with food that is edible, and I think uh, good to eat. Um, we set before them many good blessings, and sometimes they're a little skeptical of those blessings. Sometimes they don't trust the fact that, well, dad didn't do me wrong last dinner when he made me tacos, so maybe I ought to start with the perception that this also is going to be a good blessing of a dinner to eat. And I think that sometimes this is what we do with God. God has blessed us in many ways. And yet, when he sets before us the opportunity of another blessing, we're skeptical. And the point that I want to make this, this morning over the whole, the whole sermon is, is this. God is the source of all good blessings. James 1.17 says it this way. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That is to say that God is 
good, and everything good is derived from and given by that good Father, and He doesn't change. He was good yesterday, He'll be good today, and He'll be good tomorrow. Sadly, sometimes when we feel that that blessing isn't happening the way that we want, or isn't happening as fast as we want, or isn't happening on the time frame that we would like that blessing, we begin to think that something else might be better than what God has for us. That something else might be more of a blessing than what, how God would want to bless us. And we put aside obedience, we put aside glorifying God as the good blesser, and we adopt the crafty schemes of the world in, a t- in an attempt to get blessing for ourselves as we see it. So as we look into this passage, we're going to look at it, we're going to divide it into two primary sections. First, the conversation between Jacob and Laban, and then the resulting action. What both of them do after walking away from that conversation and coming to that agreement, how they both respond. And so first we're going to see that God's blessing is often recognizable. And second, we're going to see that God's blessing is often ignored. And I think this is something that we do ourselves. And so in what ways is God's blessing recognizable. Well, you'll notice first off that God's blessing is abundant. In verse 25, it says, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, and it reminds us, as I said, that Jacob has had multiple children, right? He's had 10 sons and at least one daughter that, that, that is documented there in the prior chapter, or in, earlier in the chapter. And yet, Rachel has not had a child. The the wife that he loves, the wife that he wanted to be married to at the start, she hasn't had a child. And here, finally, she does. Finally, I think Jacob here thinks, "Ah, Rachel, my beloved, finally had me a son. And that son is Joseph. And he'll be the centerpiece of the last third of the book of Genesis. So it's a a very important moment in the entire narrative. God's been fulfilling the promise of children that he promised all the way back when when Jacob first met with God. You remember the ladder, and and God gives this promise that you're you're going to uh, increase abundantly in, in children, and God's been doing that. But finally, Rachel has Joseph. But the missing piece is this. I have all these children, but if I leave here, how am I going to feed them? How am I going to take care of them? We could argue that Jacob may not have had real, you know, real faith in God because he doesn't have complete faith in God's promises. But, but listen, real faith and perfect faith are, are different things. We need to understand that. Real faith and perfect things, or perfect faith, are different things. If perfect faith is the standard, guys, we're all doomed, right? Even Abraham didn't have perfect faith, and yet the faith that he did have, it says, was credited to him as righteousness, even though later he started calling his wife his sister and all sorts of things that we just shake our head at, right? But we do these sorts of things. We have real faith, and yet there are places 
and moments where we lack faith in God for that particular thing. And so a minor application point here as we think about ourselves and others in regards to trusting God uh, uh, to bless us when and how He sees fit, we can have real faith, and yet that faith can grow and expand, not, not so that God sees us as more worthy of salvation, but so that we see how much more worthy God is of our praise as a good and blessing Father. And that faith, grow, that, that faith growing process often comes through seeing how God's abundant blessing uh, in one place accords with Scripture and then trusting that, that God will do the same according to His Word in another place in our life. And God's gracious with us. He's gracious with us to, to condescend to reveal Himself to us in the ways that He has blessed us. Uh, more evidence that God's blessing is abundant comes in Laban's words. Laban, the pagan, remind you, Laban, the non-believer, even sees it. Verse 27, the Lord has blessed me because of you. He doesn't say, I am blessed because of you, Jacob, because of what you did, because you're such a good shepherd. No, he says, the Lord has blessed me through your efforts taking care of my flock. He, he rightly identifies the source of all good blessing, even as an unbeliever. And so not wanting that blessing to just walk away, Laban says, well, how about I just, what, what do you want? What do you want to get paid? Just stay here a little longer. What do you want your wages to be? Now, now wages, remember, that's, that's the central issue. He's deceived him once on wages in terms of his wives, right? Or what should have been wife. And he'll deceive him again. It'll come up again. And Jacob's no fool, he knows who Laban is. He knows that he's crafty. And so Jacob replies and he builds on Laban's recognition of God's blessing. In fact, he says, in fact, Laban, you had little before I came. You had like nothing. And now, now you've increased abundantly. And I, I don't want you to miss this because this term increased abundantly, you might think, well, he had nothing and now he's kind of got some. No, increased abundantly is like this word for teamed. It's, it's like he is super wealthy. In fact, we can't see it in the English, but it's the same word that's used back in chapter 28 when God promised to Jacob that his family would, quote, spread abroad. It's the same exact Hebrew word, and it's actually very rare in the Old Testament. And so when Jacob is saying, you've increased abundantly, he's thinking about the promise of God to him. Here, God has promised that I would increase abundantly, but Laban has increased abundantly instead. And what I think he's implying here is there's a sense in which Laban has been stealing the, the, the blessing, the promise of God from Jacob, and instead giving him a wage and a deceptive one at that. You see, everyone recognizes that God's blessing is abundant. We see that. But we also see that God's blessing is anticipated. They recognize that it will continue to abound. Jacob then, trusting that this blessing will continue, knowing that, no, God is going to continue to bless me because he promised it. He, he, he's doing it. It's just for some reason it's going to Laban instead of to me. So, so everyone's anticipating this. He sets up a situation that would have been a no-brainer for Laban. 
It would have been a no-brainer commitment, a, no, a no-brainer agreement for Laban to take. Essentially, the majority of sheep in a flock, I had to do a little research because I'm not familiar with um, uh, sheep and goats uh, in ancient times or shepherding, so I had to do a little research here, but uh, as I understand it, the majority of sheep in a flock would have been white, and the majority of goats in a flock would have been black. And so he asks for all the multicolored of the flock instead. In other words, what he's asking for is the rare few. He's asking for a very small amount of the sheep and goats for himself. He says, I'll take care of all the flock. Just give me the multicolored ones. And, 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 and it's wise because you can't, you know, he doesn't have spray paint, right? To go like, oh, see, look, you know, it's a... It's got stripes on it, you know. It's, it's apparent whether the sheep is white or whether it's multicolored. You can't, you can't really lie about that. So he's asking for a relatively small wage. He's promising to take care of all this flock. Laban would have expected and anticipated to continue to be blessed by Jacob's shepherding, right? By God's blessing through Jacob's shepherding. Um, he would have expected that the white sheep and the black goats would have abounded more and more continually and that there would still only be a few of the multicolored. And so he would actually increase his wealth through this deal. And so, of course, he says, gosh, yeah, absolutely, deal. Laban, though, continues to be as Laban is, right? See, God's, uh, God's blessing is not uh, just recognizable in that it is abundant. It's not just recognizable in that it is anticipated. But I also want you to understand that God's blessing isn't separate from huge human agency. It isn't separate from human agency. And here's what I mean by that. God it's not as if God works over here and people do things over here, but God actually works through the things that we do. See, as they talk about Laban's flocks increasing abundantly, his wealth exploding under Jacob's care, it's not as if God was blessing separate from Jacob's diligent and hard work. It's not as if the Bible says, well, the really great thing is when you get to be lazy and you get to be foolish, and yet God still blesses you anyway. Those are the real blessings of God. It's not what it's saying. In fact, in Proverbs 20, it says, an inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be a blessing in the end. It's also not saying that the blessings here Merely a product of your labor apart from God, as if, well, I worked really hard, so these blessings are what I earned, not what God has given. But that God blesses through our labors. In fact, Jacob's been painting a different picture for us in this passage. We already said that there's this rare Hebrew word, right, that's repeated here, and in chapter 28, verse 14, that's translated increase abundantly, but I want to point you to something else that Jacob says. Three times in verse 26 and 29, he uses the word serve. Do you see that? He uses the word serve in reference to himself toward Laban, what he's been doing for Laban. 
But that word could just as well and is often translated slave. He's not merely saying, well, I've served you. He's saying, I've slaved for you. You have, what he's essentially saying is, you have treated me not like a son-in-law, but you treated me like a slave, Laban. Not surprisingly, if we turn to Exodus chapter 1, verses 12 and 14, it says two things. It says that the people of Israel in Egypt, if you remember, at the end of Genesis, we'll see the people of Israel in Egypt, and then Exodus starts 400 years later, and something has changed about the relationship of the people of Israel to Egypt. It says there, two things have happened. One, that the people are slaves now. Same word. Two, that the people of Israel, the population has teemed. Same word. It's only used three times. Chapter 28, 14, in our passage, and here in Exodus. And so what it's saying is, this thing that God has promised to Jacob, that his family would explode in growth, has happened. And yet, they're continuing to be treated as slaves. And though they didn't get wages, when God delivers them from the Egyptians, He hands over all the Egyptians' wealth to them, just as we will see God does for Jacob with Laban. And so you imagine if you're the people of Israel reading this story, walking through the wilderness, having just experienced that, saying, this is the story of our people. This is the story of how God works in the lives of the people of God. He is a good God who blesses his people. And it may not happen at the time. It may not happen in the way that we want it to, but he will do it. God is the source of all good blessing, even in an unbelieving world. And even as an unbelieving world can oftentimes recognize parts of that blessing. We find them holding to certain principles or acting in certain ways that align actually with what we are told in Scripture, even if they don't understand, even if they don't know that Scripture says it. See, they're tapping into the good, God's good order for the world, and they're being blessed by God for it. Because God's a good God. He's the source of all good blessing. And while God's blessing isn't separate from human agency, it's not sourced by it. This is clearly demonstrated in the second part of the story. And when we begin to ignore God, when we begin to have a, a purely utilitarian or a purely pragmatic view, it opens up the door to unfortunate decisions. And So we turn to the second part of the story. God's blessing is often ignored. Laban and Jacob immediately do what we are too often guilty of doing. Right after expressing their genuine belief in God's blessing, they immediately think that either they can usurp God's authority in some way, as we'll see with Laban, or that God is not sufficient for the task in some way, as we will see with Jacob. Similarly, We can say things like, yes, of course, my 
kids are a blessing, right? All these kids at my dinner table arguing about what food is good and what food isn't good and frustrating me. Now I've got to discipline them, which, parents, you know, disciplining your kids is really just disciplining you, right? Like, it's more work for you than it is punishment for, for the kid. I mean, nine times out of ten. And it's hard. And those things that, that, that make parenting difficult uh, can make us go from recognizing the blessing that they are to suddenly ignoring that blessing. Man, I, I wish if I didn't have these three kids, my wife and I could be out eating a nice dinner somewhere. I wouldn't have to make it. I wouldn't have to clean it up. And I probably would have saved money because these kids eat a lot, right? Amen. Come on. And we begin to think like that. We begin to think, well, maybe there's a different route that's actually more blessing than what God says is blessing. But we begin to think. So first, Laban's reaction, and this is how I'm going to, put, how I'm going to frame this. He, he, I think, tries to outmaneuver God, but you can't outmaneuver God. Instead of letting Jacob go through and divide the herd per the agreement, Laban, he does it himself. And clearly it's laid out. Today, I'll go through, I'll go through the flock. And Laban's like, eh. okay, yeah, that sounds good. And then he goes through the flock. And then he takes out those who are multicolored, the, the sheep that are multicolored. And then what does he do? He ships them off. See, Laban's deceptive and dishonest, and he's unethical in his business practice, practices. He talks like he's going to give Jacob so much, and then he sets Jacob up as best as he thinks he can to profit himself instead. But this is actually foolish by his own admission. I want you to think about this. This is foolish by his own admission. He couldn't even figure out on his own how he was being so blessed by Jacob. And then now he thinks he can somehow manipulate that blessing. He just said that it's been that he's been miraculously blessed by God through Jacob. He didn't have much. Now he has a ton. And yet he thinks he can outmaneuver God, a God who has authority over the cattle on a thousand hills. Do you think, do you think that God doesn't have authority over everything? Over everything. Over your work, from Monday to Friday, over your paycheck, over your family, over the government. If you don't recognize that God has authority over everything, you might find that your biggest competition is actually God, just as Laban does. Now listen, the topic of abortion has been front and center this week. And I'm going to say some things at the end of service about that very specifically. But there's something I want to say here at, at this point in the sermon because I think it's, it's a relevant illustration. A pagan like Laban, he has been immensely blessed by God. And yet ignoring God and thinking he can outmaneuver him for more blessing, he wrongs Jacob. More and more, what we are seeing in our world is people that we would call, that the world would call successful people, declaring 
that they must have an abortion. They must have the right to an abortion in order to get a better job opportunity, in order to make more money, in order sometimes to just have the freedom to do what they want when they want to do it. They ignore what God calls a blessing to get what they think is a blessing. And listen, just like the ancient pagans who worshipped Moloch, these modern pagans sacrificed their children on the altar of money, power, position, and convenience. That is what it is. It is child sacrifice. It is idol worship. It is ancient paganism in the modern world. The same James who said in chapter 1 of James that God, from God comes every good gift. In chapter 4, verse 2 says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. God has finally knocked that idol down. He will rightly judge. What we'll see in our passage is, is that not only does God, beyond all human logic and all human odds, bless Jacob, but in the process, he judges Laban for his wrongs to Jacob. He takes away all that he had given to Laban. Don't attempt to outmaneuver God. Instead, you'll find that the opposite of blessing will happen. The second way that we ignore God is by doing what Jacob does in thinking that God is not sufficient to the task. The way I'm framing this is to say you, you can't outsmart God. You think you can outsmart God, but you can't outsmart God. So here comes Jacob with this brilliant plan to mate sheep in front of sticks. I, I mean, honestly, I don't even know what to say about that. Like, uh, the whole thing is a bit confusing, but I think there's two principles that, that are being applied here. First, first, <laughs> again, I don't, have them look at these uh, uh, stripped pieces of wood uh, while they are uh, reproducing, while they're conceiving children, right? Um, it was believed to be, uh, this, this practice was believed to be based on an ancient superstition uh, that, that what you gazed on at that moment, at that moment, impacted what you produced, okay? Like, I, I don't know. Uh, just close your eyes, I guess. I don't know. Second, second thing that, it, that, that seems to be at play here is, is that he does this with particularly the strong sheep, intending to make the new multicolored sheep that would be his flock the strong ones. And, and that, we kind of go, okay, there's some like animal husbandry right there. Like, like that's a thing that, that people do. 
and have developed. And, and you, but, but usually that takes a lot of time, like multiple generations, and we're not really entirely sure how long Jacob has here you know, to, to do this, this thing. Um, but but it's, it's certainly possible. And so there's one element to what Jacob does that we go, well, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And there's one element where we're kind of like, okay, that, that, kind of, that kind of makes sense. But in the end, we don't really get an evaluation on Jacob's actions. Like nowhere in this story does it say, and Jacob ought not to have done that, or Jacob ought to have done that, or, or, or what have you. Whereas Laban's way of ignoring God is clearly sinful, we aren't really told if what Jacob does is a bad thing or what Jacob does is a wise thing. What we are told in Genesis 31 is that the success of it is attributed not to his actions, but to God, to God's intervention. And the way the story is written, we're left with the impression that while Jacob may not have been overtly deceiving, as he has in the past and as Laban does to him, he was pursuing blessing on his terms and not God's. So here's where the rubber meets the road for us, and I think this is probably the more common way in which we ignore God's blessing. If we were Jacob and someone said, why are you laying out these sticks? Like, why are you doing that? We'd be quick to point out that we're not doing anything outwardly sinful. There's no, hey, look, there's no passage in the Bible. God's never said, thou shalt not lay striped sticks out in front of thy sheep as they mate. Okay? It's not there. And, and we'd probably use that, or at least speaking for myself, maybe I'll speak for myself here and you can decide whether you ever have done this or whether you do this. I'd probably use that to excuse myself from examining my heart more fully. Because I know that if I did, it might mean that I might have to do something different. It might mean that I have to actually trust God. It might mean that I have to admit that this thing isn't in my hands. It's in God's hands. It might mean that I have to do something that isn't, that isn't expressly commanded in Scripture, and it's not expressly denied, but it's actually more in line with God's heart. See, we can look like a good Christian and still ignore how God wants to bless us and what God wants us to do. This can happen in many areas, but I'll give you to kind of stick with the same theme, I'll give you one example from my own life. After Amanda and I had Ryder and Josie, we felt so blessed. We prayed. God gave us what we wanted. That doesn't happen all the time. I have many friends, many friends who've struggled to have kids, all sorts of issues. And we prayed, and for whatever reason, God chose for us to bless us with a boy and then with a girl, which is exactly what we prayed for. And we had those two kids and we recognized, man, God has blessed us so much. But at the thought of having any more kids, I started thinking things like, well, you know, I don't make much money as a pastor. We had more kids and everyone in the family would kind of have less We'd get, we'd get to do less as a family. 
And, you know, this is already pretty tiring, having these two little kids running around everywhere, chasing them. And two on two is one thing, but two on three, two on four, I mean, gosh, you know, that's going to be tough. Think about all the activities they're going to have to do when they get older and how am I going to pay for that and how am I going to have time for that? I mean, some of you know the taxi service that is life, right? And being a pastor is is so busy sometimes. I mean, I got to take care of my family and I got to take care of the family of God. And, and, and if I have more kids, then, then it's going to take away from my time to take care of the family of God, right? It means going to be less time for church. And let's see, just frankly, let's just be honest. I'll just be, just, this is me being totally transparent. The last nine months of Amanda being pregnant with Josie were pretty difficult. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it was just us, but when she was pregnant with a girl, that was a different experience than when she was pregnant with a boy. So I don't know if there's anything to that, but you know. And I don't know if I want to do that again. How selfish is that? Like she carried the child and I'm like, oh yeah, she was a little emotional during that pregnancy. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just sharing my heart. I'm just sharing, like this is me, confession, confession time. My point is this. While I recognize the blessing of God in the kids I had, and while it's not inherently sinful to only have two kids or three kids or one kid or uh, whatever, 11 kids like Jacob does, my heart, my heart was not concerned about what the good gifts God has for me might be. My heart was concerned about money, about work, Position, convenience. Turns out my heart's are con- was concerned about the same things that those who are going to abort their child are concerned about. And that is wrong. That is wrong. Now, if Amanda and I had gotten pregnant, there's a clear line in the sand there. We were not. It would have been unquestionable for us to have an abortion. We would have figured it out. But I might have been frustrated, might have been angry, might have been disappointed even. And it makes me think of Jesus' words in Matthew 5. Do you remember what he says there? He says, you've heard that it's said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment as well. And the point isn't that being angry is the same as murdering. The point is the heart is the same. And the heart matters. Friends, your heart matters in how you think about God's blessings. It matters. It matters. Jesus isn't satisfied with us refraining from murdering someone. He wants to change our hearts in this area, and in a whole lot of other areas. He wants us to not ignore his blessings, but to see what he calls blessed as the blessings they really are, and to enjoy them because he is a good father. You see, Jacob Jacob foreshadows the Israel, Jesus Christ. The ultimate Jacob who would 
who um, would bring his family out of slavery to sin and its deceptive wages. But Jesus willingly made himself a servant and said, these black sheep, these spotted goats, these ones that you don't want, I'll take them. Let them be my wages for my work. And what was his work? Not setting before them striped sticks, but stripes on his back and setting before himself the stick, the cross. And God blessed him. And what did God do? God increased abundantly his flock, did he not? We who are that flock recognize the abundant blessings of Christ's death, yet we often ignore the rest of God's blessings that he holds out to his people. Why would we ignore them? Why do we ignore what God calls blessed? Why do we cling so close to the fence of sin, as close as we think we can get without technically crossing over, constantly being bitten by the barbs? constantly in need of the healing touch of our Savior, and yet He's so merciful to extend it over and over and over again. Why do we think we can or need to outsmart or outmaneuver Him when the bounty of a thousand hills is wide open before us and there are streams of living water? Why do we listen to the advice of wolves instead of staying close to our good shepherd. The shepherd who has so graciously saved us, his sheep, demands the right to protect them and to guide them into green pastures. Why do we begrudge him for it? It is not for our pain, but for our pleasure that he does this, because God is the source of all good blessings. Let us pray.